Welcome to the Long Island Abundant Life Church English Ministry Sermon Archive. This message was delivered on March 10th, 2013, and the title is United, from Psalm 133. God, we thank you so much for this morning that we can come and worship together. We ask that we would know you today, that we would be transformed by you, Jesus. That you are the living God, that you are powerful You are holy, you are great. We ask that we would bow down before you with all that is in us. That we would seek you and that we would know you. And we pray that uh, we would seek out each other in fellowship. That we would be joined together with the purpose of making your name known throughout the earth. And we want to pray this morning for our church our congregation, and our entire church, that you would move your spirit here, that you would convict us of sin, that you would heal the broken, that we would know you and seek after you with everything inside of us, that we would be transformed by you in that. I want to pray for our children as they're in junior worship this morning, that we would be responsible in leading them and teaching them your ways, that they would teach us how to have faith, that you would carry them close to you, hold them close to you. We know that you care for children, that you welcome them, that your message is so simple that a child can understand it, that your grace is so amazing that it can save anyone. And I want to pray for our college students who are away at college, that as they worship today in a different place, that you would bring them close to your body, our family, the church, in a different place. I want to pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world that are worshiping right now, that are worshiping later, that have already worshipped in different time zones, different places, that you would bind us together as a, a worldwide family, your family, your kingdom, that we would all hail you as king. I want to pray for those who are sick, in our church right now, that you would heal their bodies, that you would bring them close to you during this time of illness, and that that we would also seek to care for them and to help them. And as always, God, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in countries that are persecuted, that as they seek to proclaim your name, it has a high cost. It may be their lives, even. It may be jobs. It may be social standing. We want to pray for them specially because we know it is difficult. We ask that you would give them the strength and the power of your spirit to proclaim your name boldly, to share with their friends and neighbors, with their co-workers, even though it is difficult. And God, pray that you would shake us out of our apathy and that we would do the same. Even when there is not usually a high cost, we still do not share. We ask that you would shake us up, that you would move us to do that, to proclaim your name in all of the earth, to seek your glory and not our own. And as we move into this time of learning from your word, of examining your word, we ask that you would give us sharp minds, hearts, that we would be changed through the power of your word. We praise you, we thank you, God, again, for who you are, that you are holy, great, and you are the living God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We good, yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, there's we don't have.
PowerPoint today, but we're going to be continuing. We're just uh, close to wrapping up a series that we've been doing the last couple months on intimacy with God. And uh, as we finish this up and we enter um, after Easter into the month of April, we're going to be um, dealing with uh, family matters after that. We're going to be talking about family and what the Bible says about family and covering a lot of different stuff in that. So that's going to be coming up. But as we've been going over this past series on intimacy with God, as I've been preaching, we've been going through psalms and examining the different kinds of psalms, the different types and genres of psalms that there are, what they have to tell us about how to worship. Because I think sometimes we get a certain thing in our mind, like worship is just singing, or we worship in this particular way. And so we've been examining a lot of different things. We started in Psalm 1, and we talked about that one of the, the major things that, that worship is, is that it is a way of life. It is a choice to walk in the ways of the Lord and not in the ways of darkness. And that's why that psalm starts out the beginning of the book of Psalms. It's an introduction. It's saying that if you want to thrive, that if you want to live spiritually, this is what you do. You follow God's ways and not these ways. Okay, so we talked about that. We talked about what are called enthronement psalms or kingship psalms, hailing God as king in Psalm 95. And as we examined that one, we thought about the different ways that the Bible actually tells us to worship. And, and it says you should shout, sing joyfully, kneel, bow down, all of these different things. I've been challenging you that those are the things that usually we're uncomfortable with doing, but they're the examples that the Bible puts before us for how to worship that our bodies do matter in worship. It's not just our hearts. It's not just our minds. But that it should overflow because worship is an act of bowing down before a king. And that's not just spiritually. Sometimes it is physically too because that's what it takes to get our spirits and our hearts there. Okay? We talked about Psalm 100, Psalm of thankfulness, how to to give thanksgiving to God and to sing joyfully through thanksgiving. I encourage you guys to think about keeping a thankfulness journal and letting that to change your life. And I want to encourage you again right now, if you haven't been doing that, start doing that. Okay? And uh, we talked also uh, last time about Psalm 119, worshiping through the word. That one, Two of the big hallmarks of Christianity from the very beginning, very, very beginning, were that um, Christians are people of the word, and people of song. And I know it seems kind of weird, but from the very, very beginning, you read church history and stuff, Christians have been known for singing. And so that's, we do sing. And it's, it's always just been something that we do because there's so much joy in us. But it, we're also people of God's word. That God has revealed himself to us. And I challenged you last time to develop a taste for it. That as we read Psalm 119, it can be difficult because it's just this long poem about how he loves God's law so much, how he loves God's word. And when we're not used to that, it's like eating this huge steak dinner, and we're used to like being malnourished. Okay? So that's one of the things uh, also that we talked about in the area of worship, that we worship through the word, through God's revelation of himself, through knowing what God has said about his character, how he acts, how we should act in light of that. And that's why we have the Bible, and why we have this thing where you know, I and the other pastors get up here once a week, and it's really not something that you actually see in the rest of society very often anymore, other than like a lecture. But that's not really exactly what this is. It's why we still do this, so that we can learn God's word. 
Okay, so today we're going to be looking at uh, a little psalm, and one that you probably maybe have almost just skipped over. So if you could please turn to Psalm 133 with me, and stand when you get there. We're going to read it. As I said, it's, it's really short, but we're going to read it, and please stand as we read God's word together. Psalm 133. Psalm 133, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Thanks, you can sit down. Now, (laughs) Even in, in choosing to talk about this psalm, I felt a little weird because it's really short and it's got a lot of imagery in just three verses that we're not really very familiar with. But if you have a, a bulletin, you see in the outline that this is just called United. That as we examine intimacy with God, as we think about intimacy with God, and specifically as we've been covering in the psalms, how to worship God, this is one of the ways we're commanded to worship God. And we are enabled to worship God better when we are unified, when we are practicing unity with his people. And, and as we even think about this and examine it in the New Testament, we're going to be jumping around to a bunch of different verses, but um, the one that I always come back to again and again and again, because it's so clear, is in First John, and he says, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar, Okay. And so, as we think about this and we examine this, we're, we're coming from the understanding that if you want to know God truly, you cannot be in conflict with other people. You have to seek out unity with them. And we're going to be looking at this in a, in a bunch of different ways. But first, some introduction. This psalm, if you're looking at it in your Bibles, um, it says in the introductory things at the top, it says, A Song of Ascent of David. Okay, so I just want to take a minute and talk about what that means, um, because as we've been talking about these different genres, this is why I actually chose this one, because um, when we were in the beginning of talking about the goals of this study, uh, one of the goals was to equip you with the necessary tools to study the Psalms and get a little extra understanding. And so I want to tell you about the Psalms of Ascent, because they're a, a strange little collection. They're, um, they're just a couple different Psalms. It's, uh, I forget where they start now. Um, I think Psalm 120, 120 through Psalm 133 are Psalms of Ascent. And what these are, are this collection that they're not maybe the same as like lament psalms or thankfulness psalms that we talked about before. They don't share quite as much of a, a, an obvious theme. And what these were, were psalms that when people were traveling up for the three major festivals to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms. So, they have uh, Passover and uh, Pentecost and the Day of Atonement. People would travel for these festivals to Jerusalem. And as they were traveling, they would sing these psalms. And so sometimes they're called pilgrim psalms. And when we talk about this, uh, you have to understand that Jerusalem is up on a hill. And so when it says a psalm of ascent, it's like they're going up. And it often will say in the Bible uh, things about ascending to Zion, going up to Zion, looking up to Zion, Jerusalem. And so that's what this is talking about. These are just these psalms that people would sing as they went up. And so this is very likely 
the, the kind of psalms, even as Jesus is traveling for Passion Week, leading up to Easter and Palm Sunday, as they're traveling toward Jerusalem, they're probably singing these psalms. Maybe even also at the Last Supper, when it says, and they sang a hymn. Um, it may have been one of these psalms, okay? So I just wanted to give you some of that information, but I also want to explain this particular psalm, because as I said, there's some imagery here that's maybe unfamiliar. First verse, very easy. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. We get, we get that. It says, It is like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Wow. <laughs> right? Like, what does this mean? Aaron, known for being like the, the father of all priests in Israel. He is the first priest dedicated to the Lord to minister in the tabernacle and the temple, okay? And how is this signified? In the Old Testament, we see this with the priests, but also with David. They're anointed on the head with oil to show that they are set apart. Even the word itself, Messiah, means anointed one. It is a sign that someone has been anointed with special blessing, okay? Now, when we're talking about this one, it says, so he's anointed with oil, and it's running down, down, down. You see down a lot in this. And uh, so I want you to understand that picture, and I'll give you a little more in just a second. But it's a special sign of blessing, and it goes down. And I want to uh, explain the second one. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Zion, as I I said before, is like the, the holy mountain, the place where Jerusalem is. They're kind of used interchangeably a lot. But Hermon, Mount Hermon, is the highest mountain in Israel. Because of its height... In the summer, in particular, it would still get dew. It's so high up. It was very famous because it was very dewy up there. It's very, very high. And so it says, this dew that the highest mountain is famous for, it's like it's running down on Jerusalem itself. So again, we have this theme of down. So what does this mean? Okay? This means that this blessing of unity comes down from God. I just... <laughs> That's a very simple one-sentence explanation, but I know these images are a little wacky for us sometimes. So when we're reading this, we want to understand what this is trying to say. This imagery is saying that this unity, this blessed unity, comes down from God. It is not necessarily just something that is cultivated between us, but it is a blessing that comes down from God to us. And then that's uh, also... Confirmed by the last verse, it says, For the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So, as we are seeking to understand this psalm, I just want to give that quick explanation. This is just like three verses. But I want us to understand that that is the basis. As we talk about the next two things, the next two points, that we have unity through identity and unity through purpose, we have to understand that, yes, those things to a certain extent, do create unity. But ultimately, if we are trying to find unity apart from the blessing of God, apart from receiving it through the grace of God as a church, we're doomed, okay? Like, we do share a lot of things together, right? We all live in Long Island, and there is a cultural thing going on here. But that is not enough to ensure unity in a church, It's not enough to bring us together in the way that God desires for us to come together. It is a blessing that we have to seek from God, that he must pour down, and it has to come from him alone, okay? 
Uh, I, want, I want us to get that. But I want to point to just, uh, there's so many passages we can go to to explain this and to understand this. But I want um, to particularly focus on just two things that the Bible consistently points out that bring us together in unity. Number one, our identity in Christ. And number two, our purpose or our mission. Okay, so let's go to that first one. Unity and identity. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, as I said, we're going to jump around a little. If you want to turn to some of these verses, that's up to you. If you don't, no, no biggie either, okay? Um, the first one we're going to be in Ephesians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, um, verses 1 through 6. If I can find it. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So this is a verse that really zeroes in on what we're talking about here. How can we have unity? Yes, I said we have to receive it from God. But why should we have unity? He says, because all the things that you believe in, Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, but he writes to us too, I think. He says, all the things that you say you believe in, that there is one God, that we believe one thing about this this baptism, um, this faith, it all points to the fact that we should be one. That we should not be focusing on the areas where we disagree, but on the areas where we agree. And when we do disagree, what do we do? We bear with one another in love. And so the Bible calls us on this issue of identities that says, in essence, as we've said many times, you are all are a family. You are sons and daughters of God. You are a family. You've been called together in this one thing, this one true God. Can you act like it? Can you forgive one another? Now, sometimes... Earthly families are not perfect, and I understand that. And maybe sometimes when we say that the church is a family, for some of us, that has bad connotations. We have bad thoughts that come to mind when we think about that. But understand this, that in this family, we were able to join this family because of the one sacrifice of Jesus, that God himself laid down his life, purchased us, from slavery to sin, that we were separated from God. And that brings us into this family. And are we perfect? No, we are not perfect. But one day we will be made perfect. This will be a perfect family. And until then, we strive for that. And so I know that our families are not perfect now. I know stuff happens. And we have arguments. But as we seek to understand this family that we have here in this place and in the rest of this church, how do we act? How do we behave? What do we look for? We look for the things that we are bound together in. The identity that we belong to Jesus. 
We belong to God. How do we belong to him? Because we were so great? Because we could come together here and not fight and get along really great? No. Because we were called through his grace alone to know him. That is how we can have unity. When we understand that and and when we do disagree, what do we do? It says, bear with one another in love. The disciples asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus said, 70 times 7. And they're like, oh, 490 times, huh? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Jesus is, is giving them a picture. You know, it's not like, you know, maybe sometimes you feel that way. But you have that one person in your life that you're just like, oh. And it's just, so you have the little tally mark. You're like, 491, you're done. Like, and it's not what it's saying here. It says, bear with one another in love. Forgive one another. And forgiveness, God demonstrates for us. It says that he forgets. He forgets our sin. Now, does God really, truly, in his, his godly mind, forget? Is that possible? I don't think that's what it's saying. God knows all things. Can he actually just totally not know that it happened? No. But I do think that what that means is that God does not hold our sins against us does not use them against us. So when we are talking about forgiving, maybe someone has done something to you that you cannot forget. Okay? You, just, you just won't. It, it hurts so deeply. Okay? What is the example God has, forgive, has given us? He forgives in such a way that he does not hold it against us. He welcomes us into his arms. He grants forgiveness and blessing and love. And that's the example that we're given. So we have this unity identity forgiving one another and bearing with one another in love. And the second thing, and, and I want to spend maybe a little more time on, in this, uh, unity and purpose. And I want to, uh, to turn to Matthew chapter 28 here for a minute. Matthew chapter 28. I want to read um, what's called the Great Commission. And this is going to be Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Some context here. Okay? Jesus has ministered. He's done all of his stuff. He's gone through Passion Week, uh, Palm Sunday, Easter. The resurrection has happened. He's resurrected, appeared to the disciples, and he is leaving now. He's ascending to heaven. And they don't know when he's going to come back. And he says, I have something for you to do. I'm God, and I died so that you can, can have a relationship with me. And I rose again of my own power, something that's never happened before in exactly this way. And I prove that I am God to you. And now I'm telling you, I want you to do something. And this is what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, I'm going to, just to inform you, I'm going to be maybe a little negative here. Okay, so if you came here for a a positive, happy sermon, this is maybe not it. Um, Because I look at this, and I've been, this has really been on my heart for about the last two weeks. When I think about um, the topic of unity, and of purpose. And it says how good and blessed it is when brothers dwell in unity. That we know one of the things that helps us to dwell in unity is 
having a shared purpose, having a shared mission, that we're all working for this one thing, that we're all trying our best to get that one thing. It brings us together. And I wonder if the reason that we have such a hard time getting along is that we don't do this. Because honestly, you know, the past couple of weeks I've just been thinking so much about this passage. And really, truly, when I stop and think about it, it seems almost like a joke to me. And in, in this church, and, and oftentimes in America as a whole, that Jesus, God himself, leaves and he says, I want you to go and just tell people that I will save, save them, that I give grace freely, that I'm God, and that they should worship God because there is only one true God. I want you to do that for me. Can you do that? And, and I just, just think of your own life. Okay? It seems almost like a joke that we would claim Jesus as King and Lord and act the way we do sometimes. And I don't mean even sin or anything like that, but that we do not take this seriously. This is called the Great Commission. This is like the one thing. Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm going to come back. I want you to do something for me. Just one thing. Just do it. And it's the thing we don't do. Okay? And that's why I say it's almost like it's like a bad joke, I think. Like, let's come up with a religion where we believe all these things that so strongly, or we say we do, and then the, the founder of this religion, who's God himself, gives us one thing to do, and we'll all say, yes, we believe in that religion, but we'll not do that one thing. <laughs> like, what's going on here? What's the disconnect happening here? And I think that there are so many things. I really do. And I, I don't think I can just point to one thing, but I challenge you today, even though this is a, a sermon on unity, that I think this is one of the reasons we struggle so much. Because we want to come together and we want to have our fellowships. And we want to come together and we want to sing our songs. We want to come together and you know, do all the things that we do as a church. And yet we are not gathering around this one thing, this one mission that we've been given to do. He didn't say, I'm leaving now and I really want you to go and sit in church. And I'm leaving now and I really want you to come together and sing your songs. And I'm leaving now, and I really want you to come and, and be really awesome. You know, I don't know. Like, there's so many things that he could have said that he didn't say. Said, go, make disciples of all nations and teach them the things that I have taught you because there's life in me. Okay? So how can we have unity? It can only come from God. It can only come through the identity that we are in Jesus, through his grace and through his power. And it can only come through the action of sharing that grace and that power. Now, I do understand that there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens. And I just want to, uh, to have, have kind of a little illustration of this. I need three volunteers. Okay? Three volunteers, preferably at least one of each gender. Anyone? Anyone? Everyone's always afraid to be to be volunteers. Josiah, come on up. That's one. Oh, you guys! It wasn't even that bad last time. It only involved blindfolds and brownies. You have brownies too. Oh, we got one guy walking out. <laughs> so afraid, Sam. Thank you. And now I need a girl. 
and wait just as long as you can. A lady, a woman, is that better? I will recognize you as a woman if you come up here. Well, uh, I'm going to get Sam started on his task. Okay? So, uh, Sam. And then eventually I'm going to need a woman to come up while Sam performs his task. I'm going to give you your pretend um, shovel thing. Okay? Here's your shovel. Okay, so I want you to come back here. And you also have a bag of seed. Okay? So I want you to shovel out a little shovel. Pretend you have a shovel. Do you shovel like this? No, I shovel like this. You have to, you have to put it in first. <laughs> the shovel is here. To dig, too. No, whatever. Okay, anyway. Shovel out, and then you drop a seed in. Okay? Oh. And then you pat it down with your foot. Or I don't know, whatever. Point is you're planting something. Okay? And then you move over. Okay? Just keep planting. I really need a girl now. I'm sorry. Don't let him do that for too long. Arena. Oh, finally. You are lucky. Oh, this is so much funnier. It's your brother. <laughs> okay. So you, you're also a farmer. Okay. You are an ox. Okay, so um, where are your horns? Yes, yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, you need to get behind him. And you need to... Whoa, yeah, it's really slippery up here. Watch it. Yeah, keep planting. Um, so you need to drive him. You know, I don't know if you have a stick or if you have a whip. Like, whoosh, whoosh. Okay, but the point is, you're driving the ox and you're plowing, okay? Okay, so go ahead, plow. <laughs> if you're going to whip him, use the noise. Whoosh. <laughs> Of course it's awkward. Yeah, you can kick them. That's fine. Okay, so they're planting, and they're planting. And uh, <laughs> Arena, Josiah, maybe you should plant down there so you don't run into sand. Okay, so Arena and Josiah, uh, they're planting a lot faster. Okay, so Sam, he's got his own little thing, and at the end of the day, he's, he's going to go home, and he's going to go to sleep. You can, you can go home and go to sleep, I guess. He's going to go home and go to sleep. But he just planted this small area up here. They, on the other hand, are all the way to the back of the sanctuary by now, like planting all this stuff. Okay, but you guys, you come back. You're, you're at the end of the day now. Okay? You're at, you've reached the end of the day. Just keep driving him back. I mean, don't just, don't let him rest. Okay? Now I need you to get in, put him in his stall. I don't know, like over here. Decide someplace. Put him in his stall. Yeah, sure, right there. Okay, so he's worked hard all day, so he needs something. What does he need? Carrots? Whatever. Hey, food. He needs food. So you need to you take your pitchfork and uh, put some food in for him. And Josiah, you eat. <laughs> so um, so keep, keep feeding him. He's very hungry. You guys did a lot of work today. Okay? Keep feeding, keep feeding, keep feeding. Okay, good. Excellent. So we understand Sam, he, he's, he's okay. He planted a little bit, but he got to go home and he got to go to sleep. Now we have a problem. He worked very hard, and he has eaten a lot. Now what does he need to do? 
No. <laughs> um, he needs to poop. Okay, so you don't need to perform the action. But, <laughs> but you, however, do need to clean up after him. He's pooped in his stalls. Get your... <laughs> nice. Okay, keep going. So, although Sam got to go home pretty quickly and go to sleep, he didn't plant very much. They planted a lot. And right now she's feeling pretty bad about that. She's shoveling his poop. But I, I want you to turn with me as she continues to shovel. Yes, please keep shoveling. Two Proverbs. Proverbs 14.4. No, keep shoveling. <laughs> Proverbs 14.4 is this. Where there is no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. Okay, so she's shoveling his poop, but... The point that this proverb makes, I don't think it's ultimately just about farming. It says, where you don't have oxen, you don't have to clean up the poop. Okay? But there is an abundance of harvest when you do have it. They, they accomplish so much more. You can stop shuffling. Thank you. It was a lot of poop. <laughs> and I want to encourage you. I want you to think about it this way. And I don't think this is too big of a stretch. That, that Jesus said to the disciples, he said, look out at the fields. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here's the thing, that when you deal with people, when we come together as a church, as a people of God, you have to deal with the crap. Okay? Just say it starkly. When there's people, where there's people, there is crap. You have to learn to deal with it. You have to learn to deal with the mess of people. But is it worth it? Absolutely. It says, where there's no oxen, yes, you don't have to deal with it. You can go it alone. You can do whatever you want. You can plant till, you know, like three days straight. But when you have people, when you have those oxen, when you have people around you, you do have to deal with the mess. But the harvest is so much greater. So this is what it says. Learn to deal with it. I think that's the point of this, this proverb. You can go it alone. Yes, you can do that. You can have a relationship with God. You can try and close yourself off from all those other people, but ultimately, you're not going to be very fruitful. When you come together with people, you're going to have to deal with messes. You're going to have to learn to clean them up. You're going to have to deal with all the stuff that comes along with people. But the harvest is so great when you have those people, when you come together. And so when we talk about unity of purpose, I think this is what we're talking about. Yes, we have people coming together. Yes, we have a mission that we should be going for. The harvest is so plentiful. There's so much going on in the world right now. So much need for God. And we can spend our time only dealing with the mess. We can go out. We can go into that field. We can learn to deal with people. We can work together. Yes, we're always going to have to deal with this stuff. I'm not pretending like before we reach heaven that there's ever going to be a church where there's not stuff that happens, where there's not things that you have to deal with, people you don't like, things that happen that you're not particularly happy about. That's always going to happen. There's always going to be a mess to clean up. But it is worth it to be united in this purpose, to learn to deal with people, to learn to bear with one another in love. Why? 
Going back to the very first verse, where John writes so clearly, so honestly, and he says, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. You, you lie. You can't love God and hate your brother. You must forgive. You must learn to deal with them. You must be united in all of these things that you're united in first. Learn forgiveness. Think about that stuff later. Find some way to deal with it. Why? Because this psalm, Psalm 103 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And God calls us to unity. Calls us to fulfill this purpose. He's given us this mission. And we can't spend our time fighting with each other. And if we don't do the the mission, we probably will fight with each other. Because we're not focused on the goal at hand. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on the things that we want. So, you know, I'm speaking very broad terms today. But, and I'm not really going to get much more specific. Because I think if you think right now and you say, what's that one person that I don't really care for here today? I'm sure there's one. Or, like, I, I just, maybe you're the, one, the person who doesn't really engage with anyone. Like, you come to church and you sit here, but you don't really get to know anyone. Or maybe you're the person that just really gets angry about stuff. I don't know who you are. There's so many different kinds of people. And I know that probably at some time or another, some of you have gotten upset about a person or a thing that happened, or you just wish this one person would shut their mouth, or like, I don't know what it is, okay? But I'm sure it's there. And if it's not, it's because you're not involved enough in the church, I think. Okay? Because when there are, where there are people, there is a mess. Okay? You have to, to learn to clean it up. So, a challenge for you today. If you're not seeking unity, seek it. Come here and don't just sit here and then leave. Get to know people. Talk with them. Find out about them. Care about them. Love them, even. Or if you are the person that does know people, but you're just so upset about stuff. Learn to focus not so much on the mess as on the harvest. Okay? Yes, where there's people, there's mess. But with that comes such a great harvest. And last of all, and I think most importantly, assess yourself. Leave here today and ask, do I even what Jesus said? Because Jesus prayed something. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's the original disciples. Jesus is praying to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the original disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I mean, wow. Like, this is Jesus praying before he dies and he says, God, I want you to bring them unity so that they'll know that you sent me, so that they'll know I'm the Son of God. It's, it's pretty, 
pretty deep, pretty challenging. So I know this is probably a lot to think about, and I encourage you to leave here and to not just leave, to, to think about it. There's so much I know in my own life in this area, and in reading these verses and Jesus' prayer, that is so incredibly challenging. God gives grace, okay? He gives so much grace, and he gives it freely. So don't dwell on the ways that you've messed up in the past. Ask forgiveness, and God will give it freely. Seek that, and he will give it. And then move on and ask yourself, am I completing the task that he has called me to complete? Are we as a church seeking to complete this task to make disciples of all nations that Jesus told us to complete? And if we're not, how can we do that? How can we change? How can we start to obey? Because let's be honest here. We're mostly not obeying this. We're not seeking this. How can we do that? If you have any ideas about how to do this, please talk to me. You know, this is not like I stand up here and I talk to you and, and there's like this wall between us. To me and say, I really think this is a way that we can do this. I really have a heart for this. I really want to see this happen. And we'll see what we can do, okay? But let's do this together. This is, again, this is about unity, a family. Let's communicate. Let's figure out together how we can complete the mission that we've been given, okay? Let's bear with one another in love. Let's forgive. I'm going to close this in prayer, and we have a song of response. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We, we are bound together in you, that you have purchased us, that we are all citizens in your kingdom. May we seek to know the laws of your kingdom, the ways of your kingdom, to know its culture, to know its king. We ask that you would give us the strength to bear with one another in love, and to be joined together in our purpose, the glory of your name. We would constantly be seeking to know you, but beyond that, to make you known, to speak your name, to understand that, yes, people, there is a mess. There's always things that you have to deal with with people. You have to take care of things that you wouldn't have to take care of when it's just one person alone. But help us understand that it is so worth it because when we work together, the harvest is so great. And that is what you have called us to do. God, we ask that you give us the power to make your glory known to the nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray.